fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode 72. And this time around, I have a talented actor, producer, and writer sitting here with me who I am very excited to get to know better. But before we get into it, I want to remind you, if you're watching right now on YouTube and would prefer audio only, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you're listening on one of those, though, uh, first off, if you could leave a review, that would be really helpful. But if you didn't know there was a visual side to the show, then please come check it out on YouTube. If you could subscribe while you're there, it really does mean a lot to me. And finally, if you want to reach out to me, maybe you've got a cool guest idea or some feedback about the show, you can hit me up at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. While you're doing that, let me know if you have any interest in one of these cool holofoil stickers, and I'll send you one free of charge if you just give me your address. Now, as I mentioned already, I have a skilled thespian sitting across from me in the studio uh, who has shared screen time with Hollywood household names like Bruce Willis and Mel Gibson. So very, very happy to have you here, Mr. Simon Phillips. You know, I was going to say it, but hey, I've never had a guest introduce themselves. Simon well, Phillips. Well, I thought I'd jump in there. I'm famous yeah. for doing that. There you go, man. Well, thank you for coming, and it's a pleasure to actually make no, your acquaintance. No, thank you guys for having me in this very cool... Uh, Den. It's a it's a it's a den. I'm man cave, a den. I suppose. A man cave. Nerd den. cave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a while. We were sort of talking about setting this up, so I feel like I got to know you a bit through email. But it's always great to meet someone in the flesh, you know. Oh, nothing like it, right? There's a bit too much of the uh, you know people connecting via Zoom, and so I like it in the flesh. Same still, here. I'm afraid. Yep. Look someone in the eye. Old yeah. school. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted. We kind of got into it beforehand, but we were just talking about how you were Irish born, London raised. That's right. Um, and Irish, your actual name is Mick Phillips, is it not? That's right. So I was born Simon Mick Phillips and then cool. moved to London and uh, when I was 10 and then uh, started to do theatre and stuff like that later. And then a, a very influential casting director was like, hey, you're good. What's your name? And I was like, Simon Mick Phillips. And he was like, what? I was like, Simon Mick Phillips. He's like, no, no, uh, Simon Phillips. It's cleaner. And I was like, yeah. Done. <laughs> and then in that instant... I abandoned all my heritage, uh, my, my father, you know. <laughs> Did you find, um, because I, I, I go by Oliver George, but George is my middle name. As we were saying, we're Irish. I'm a Riley. Um, but I did find when I started doing stand-up comedy and, and using that, you know, moniker, that it was helpful in the way that I could sort of disassociate. And, and there was daytime me, Oliver Riley. And then when I would go do comedy, I was Oliver George all of a sudden, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're you're always sort of being someone else anyway. So but you don't want to come with any sort of preconceptions, do you, when people think, oh, people think you can only be Irish if you had an, oh, right. Exactly, you know, yeah, of, yeah. That's all you could do. So I suppose it sort of wipes the slate clean. Simon Phillips doesn't tell anybody anything. They're like, oh, I don't know where that's from. It could be a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Very open. Um, so you went to drama school in London, right? I did, yes. And at what point do you make the move over here? Uh, to be honest, I made the move to Los Angeles before this, and oh my God, I hate LA. Uh, it's do you know what? it's not a great place if you're an actor because everyone in LA is an actor. So you're you everything you do is sort of networking, including the people I was hanging around with. They were like, "We should go for breakfast in this place," and they're like, "Ah, it, it does good breakfast," and they're like, "No, but it's where like some influential uh. producer has breakfast," and you're like. I, and suppose we end up sitting in a table next to an influential producer. Will, that, will that get us a job? You know, as a in accidentally drop the salt or something. I, I, yeah. It's madness, but that, that's how actors from LA think. So you're like, I got to get out of here. So I had to. I did a TV show up in uh, Vaughan, you know, just a, north of Toronto, and then 
in Ottawa uh, called No Easy Days, um, sort of for Amazon Prime. And then uh, I just, I, I stayed here eight months doing that show. So I fell in love with the place. I like Ottawa. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a village, but it's a city. Uh, yeah, it's, it's right a, in the middle. It's right in the middle and it doesn't have the traffic of any of these other places. And uh, yeah. Yeah, know. it, it uh, poses very well as a sort of metro- metropolitan, larger city while keeping the charm of, of a smaller town. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I find it a nice place to live. Well, what you're saying about LA, I always have to imagine that a lot of people end up there who are coming from much smaller towns where they were the the person, you know, in their small town. Oh, he's going to make it. He's the best actor. And then you, you're all of a sudden in this pool of people that are in a similar line of work, you know? I, I think it's an old idea as well, the, you know, which I followed too, which is like you have to go to Hollywood, you know, sort of at a certain point you've done so many movies and stuff like that and they go, well, you've got to try your hand in Hollywood, see if you can make it over there. You can do local stuff as I did in, in London for many years uh, and then you fall into that trap. But actually, really, you you don't need to do that anymore. The world is a lot smaller because of the internet and things like, than it used to be. So actually, you could be... Uh, Jimmy Nobody from somewhere, and you were st- you could still make a Hollywood A-list star without going without setting foot in LA, really. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's always a, how how much you hate or enjoy traveling is going to be a big part of it as well. If you don't want to live in LA, because there are going to be times where I would imagine a lot of shoots are in. New York or just other There's cities. In a there. lot of stuff I think is arranged out of those places, like all the deals are signed in, in LA, all the agents are there and everything like that. But um, I've only shot, uh, like I've shot a bunch of movies. I've shot two in Los Angeles, uh, but mm. the rest of them, even though they're all signed out of Los Angeles, are in everywhere. I, like you say, you have to love traveling. Atlanta's a big one in the States for filming, isn't it? That's, they got a big tax break there, so they love Atlanta. Oh, that's, I always wonder, yeah. Or Georgia you see as well. Or Atlanta is Georgia, rather, yeah. But uh, Marvel movies and I know The Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah, huge tax breaks in those places, so they all mm. gravitate towards there. Like, the Walking Dead, I think, is what sort of stimulated all that, actually. Interesting. Yeah, because you always see the Georgia peach at the end of the credits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots of stuff is, is shot out there. Atlanta's great. We, we shot a movie there last year for the, that exact reason. Also, Atlanta never shut during COVID. Oh. So, like, you know, the Hollywood would always be worried about, ah, oh, we don't want shutdowns and stuff like that. Atlanta was always able to say, we never closed down, which they didn't, ever. Wow. They say you, when I was there, it was in the height of COVID, and you could go to a bar, no masks on, and uh, the bar was full and packed with people. It was uh, actually really worrying. Did you end up uh, catching COVID at all? No, you? but no. but I had to le- immediately leave the bar that we were in. A friend of mine took me there, and I was like, I I gotta go, man. I I can't be here. You know, sort of. Uh, I'm actually I'm, I didn't think I was that afraid of COVID till I was there Mm. and I was like how open and people were kind of like yeah you know our numbers are no worse or better than anywhere else and you're like yep because you're not testing you know that thing of like (laughs) nobody went to get tests you know because they just didn't care so their numbers were it was hard to know what their actual numbers were but uh it's Atlanta's a great place to be though uh film wise for sure well let's go back a little earlier in your career then uh and talk about some of the first acting jobs you had because I I did go through the IMDB and you had a lot to go through there (laughs) but uh the very first thing I saw was a role in Perfect Strangers, which I was not familiar with, but it seems to be a well-received show. That's right. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was my one line of, uh, you know, <laughs> I was like a kitchen cook in it. Yeah, I've got but, that here. <laughs> but it was, but it was, and it was one line and I mean one line. But to me, it was like, that was, that was the biggest thing ever at the time, you know. Transformative, sort of, yeah. Uh, and it, but I, it was more about, uh, I don't know, making that jump between uh, screen and uh, theatre. So in London, you, you tend to start doing a lot of theatre, actually. When you go to drama school, it isn't film school, so they're not teaching you for 
uh, performing on on screen. They're teaching you for theatre. They're right. only teaching you for, for theater, a live audience as opposed to camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and they don't, uh, as far as I'm aware, that's still uh, the sort of system today. Uh, but that's they they train you that way, um, and then mm. if you're lucky, you get to make the leap, and if you don't, you don't. Well, I wanted to ask you based on that. It sounds like you were about 21 years old when you did that one-liner. So yeah. I wanted to ask what 21-year-old Simon would think of your accomplishments to date. Oh God, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, do you know what? I I'm very, very lucky uh, because I don't do another job. Um, you know, lots of people do acting on the weekend or when they can or around being a waiter or something, you know, very admirable that they put double the amount of effort I do in. And I've been very lucky for the last decade to just do that. Whereas before I had to sort of balance jobs between. Yeah, you know, well, that's very impressive. So uh, that's, uh, to me, that's the, the that, that was the thing I wanted to be when I was young. I was like, well, I wanted to just be an actor, you know, sort of, I just lived like that and uh, ho hopefully getting off work to sustain that. And uh, it took a while. But It's uh, always impressive. Like, because like you said, there's a, sort of a myriad of, of different levels to acting or comedy as well of, as far as investment that people will put into it. And I'm always impressed when I interview or just meet someone who's either an actor or a performer of any kind who can make a living doing that. Yeah, I think it's, it, there's a lot of sacrifice involved in it. Like all my friends were, you know, married. I'm, like, I'm 41 and all my friends were married and had kids and stuff like that. And I missed that uh, a little bit sort of because I was doing this and I was like, well, you know, nothing grows in the shade, right? So I would have mm. relationships, but then you'd have to leave for two months doing it. You know, like it's, yeah. uh, and it kills all those things. Sort of so people go, oh, you know, you're lucky you got to, and you're like, yeah, it comes with a certain cost. And I get, I'm very lucky I got to travel the world, but I did it on a, on my own. So well, before a, the pod, you said you had a, a son, though, right? So he's now sort of, uh, sorry, that, which he's 18 months, like, he's now. Like, oh, he's very months. young. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay, very, okay, yeah. well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah he shouts a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, up, up until then, I'd, I'd missed a lot of that. So, uh, you know, sort of, I sort of feel like I'm playing catch-up now, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, newborns are exhausting even when I, my kids, my oldest two, I was... 23 and 25 when I had them. So I had that energy reserve that someone in their 20s has, you know? Yeah, I'm not able for it. So. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I mean, my uh, my youngest I had when I was, uh, or I, I had, she had him, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he came into the world uh, when I was 33 or something. And that decade of difference, I, I very much felt with the newborn stage. Yeah, it's... Uh, so I can only imagine 41. Yeah, so, it's, know, it's it. but also like, I'm only used to looking after myself. You know what I mean? Sort of, uh, and that was, so it's a bit of a shock, you know, sort of in that sense of this thing that doesn't care that you're on the phone or you're, you know, talking to a, you know, just like, no, feed me now. <laughs> we, uh, we actually have the same agent. So I wanted to give Lisa. a shout out to Lisa Muser. Yes. Yeah. Um, you, I'm sure, have been a much more successful client of hers than I am. But thanks for sticking with me, Lisa. Um, she's given me plenty of good opportunities. But uh, just like we were talking about, the, the investment level. I'm often busy doing the show and the kids and comedy. And so if she sends me an audition, I, I generally try. But sometimes I, I can't fit it in. Or I'm just not as seasoned and trained when it comes to uh, acting. But uh, to, to, yeah, to be honest, I find a lot of that stuff is uh, is about sort of connections with people as well, you know, sort of. And you've either, you know, people have other thing, other priorities, obviously. Even the people that are making the movies have mm. other priorities. So unless you hit it like square in the middle first time, you tend to miss the mark. Yeah. And ninety percent of auditions are that, you know, people are not quite what they're looking for, and they don't have yeah. the they don't have the the producer does, or the director doesn't have the investment to try and get to know you a bit better because time is short for them too you know so i always think and you have to be exactly what they want you know sort of because uh, there's so much options for them out there yeah well i mean i i've only really ever been in a couple of things um 
speaking of kitchen cook, the only thing I'm credited on IMDb uh, was a character that was named Lemon Hands, just because I was a barkeep cutting lemons, and that's anyways. But uh, yeah, I, I came into it in an interesting time because I did one acting thing where I was like a guitar player in a band, and that I got. It was a very last minute something that went up on Facebook. Hey, we're looking for musicians, and it was a sweet experience. I made a good paycheck, and you know we were considered skilled extras or whatever it is. Um, but after that, I didn't do it for a bit. And then I started thinking, all right, I'm going to try to get an agent for maybe partially for the show, but also just to, to land more opportunities. And that came at the same time as COVID. So I've never done like in-person auditions. I've only done self-tapes. Yeah. The world has gone like that uh, recently. There was... Um, do you have a preference personally? Yeah. Oh, I prefer the self-tapes actually, because okay. uh, the self-tapes give you a chance. If you mess it up, you can start again. You're in the room with someone. You can't mess it up. You know, yeah, so, yeah. well, you can. Uh, and then they, they gives you a go, chance to review. But though. it does give you yeah. However, you've lost the personal connection. So you can be talking to the guy for, you know, five, ten minutes beforehand, and the guy can like you and go, yeah, I'm going to be able to do the movie with this guy. Yeah. Whereas you don't have with the self-tape. Uh, but usually these, the bigger profile stuff, they have to, they they can talk to you and they can like you, and then they, t they tape you anyway. And then they send that tape on to the other producers who aren't in the room, you know, sort of. So you end up in the same scenario, except you're not able to do a take two, you know, sort of thing. Mm, interesting. So it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. But COVID, it's funny. I had the exact opposite experience of COVID um, <laughs> because I was uh, trying to get more American work uh, unsuccessfully in, in a the last few years. And then COVID happened. And uh, England shut down, and obviously a lot of the borders and travel became impossible everywhere. And they, if, so if they wanted a British actor um, with a beard, uh, then they had to find one that was already here. Source it domestically. And then I, I, I managed to get so much work in the last two years. <laughs> the Bruce Willis movies, the Mel Gibson things. They, oh, yeah. all, of my, all of my stuff that I got, I got in COVID. And then we shot it in Puerto Rico, which is one of those places that, again, oh, never shut down. Uh, you know, so because it was a sort of, and a big tax break. And once I got one of them, I got four of them. You know, so wow. I was like, brilliant. <laughs> So yeah, not a, having to fake an accent is huge. No, and the, I and I they sort of culled out my competition because no, they couldn't get a British actor out of London. You know, so if they wanted one, they had to find one that was already here. Wow, that's uh, pretty yeah. lucky. <laughs> I was very lucky. So I had I'm just in the right place, right time. But then people say, "Oh, that was very lucky," and you're like, "Well, I've also been doing it for twenty years." You know, yeah, sort exactly. of. I was like, yeah, yeah. "I've been in the right place, right time, probably for about ten years, uh, but not." Yeah, things keep passing you by because they do, and then eventually, you know, people go, "That guy's always hanging around. Give him the job." Yeah, you know, sort <laughs> of. Uh, he, he's been here enough. You know, he's been in the waiting room long enough. Give him, yeah. give him something. And how do you fare when you have to? Uh take on doing like an American accent or uh... oh, do, do you know what? I've taught myself out of these jobs uh, because I, I have this thing of like if you want and one of my favorite things to do is improvise sorry I should say that to start with and which is harder to do in an accent that isn't your own of you course, know sort yeah. of, and I really don't I enjoy working with directors that allow you a bit of that uh, leeway in room ad-libbing and stuff and yeah. they do that, I kind of enjoy that a bit more so whenever they say can you do an American accent um, you know the answer is if you want an American just get an American, you know, sort of, uh, honestly, and I'd, I would talk myself out of jobs like that because really what would happen is I could do it and I'd have to concentrate pretty hard, but there's some, there's some sort of disparity, unless you're one of those really top, top actors, which isn't me, that, um, that can do it flawlessly. You, you, I spend a lot of time concentrating on the accent and then you lose something in what you're doing because you're working so hard to something think of the else accent. Suffers. Something yeah. else. And it's sort of subconscious. You don't really notice it, obviously, but I would notice it. Um, and the only time we've uh, managed to successfully do that is I did do a film here in uh, Canada 
um, where they had me and another British guy play two people from like Alabama. Was this Butchers? This is Butchers. Oh, I just watched this last night. Oh, right. Okay. So we, they do, we did the accent for that. And I don't, uh, I mean, well, you tell me. I, I, I don't no, know. No, it was very good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, very convincing. And we managed to improvise in it. But my scene partner, who was British as well, so we were two brothers both playing these sort of Southern drawl Alabama sort of deliverance type characters. Hills yeah. <laughs> uh, have eyes. Or, yeah, yeah, but like that. We did manage to improvise a bit on that one, but but then we had each other. Uh, so we were sort of checking the accent with each other. So, um, yeah, but that was an unusual scenario. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't opt to do that again if I could avoid it. I always find it actually more uh, interesting to hear, like as opposed to hearing a North American person putting on a Brit- British accent, I always find it funny to hear like Lucy Lawless or somebody become Xena. I, I don't know why, but I've always, it's always... Tickled my ear a bit. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> traditionally speaking, brilliant. We've got we speak in just like an octave lower than anybody from North America. So I think we find it easier to do the American accent than the American would have find it to do the British. Mm. It's hard to drop their voice uh, an octave lower without uh, without sounding forced. Yeah, I would have never thought of octaves coming into it at uh, all. It does. We, huh. we have a lower register of the way we sort of our voices just across the board are a lot uh, a bit more bassier um so well you certainly yeah i can yeah, hear but it. I, in british actors generally if you listen to them they, they do speak uh, slightly down here and americans hmm. are slightly just one octave up um and it's uh so it's harder for them like physically it's actually harder for them to do it but if they do it obviously the people that can do it and do it very well but uh, it is it's not easy and it, but it is easier the other way around Hmm. If you think about it, going up an octave is definitely easier than going down one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like just generally. Well, some people don't even have the ability to go lower. Oh, well, no. Yeah. There's, and those are terrible actors who are just like, <laughs> just <laughs> talk in one tone all the time. And you see, some, I see these people and I'm like, God, that voice, guy's voice is, that drive me crazy. You know, like just just one tone and no inflection or no, no variation on it at all. Robotic sort of. Yeah. yeah. But I see these people, I wonder how they get on some shows, you know, like who they're sleeping with. That's That would be my big question. Can you imagine sleeping with them? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That- I'm having such a good time. Um, you're speaking of improv, though, which is a perfect segue into uh, the latest film that you have out, which is Survive the Game, because I, I read that you had improv a lot or most of the lines in your scenes with Bruce Willis. Do you know what? I wish that that was my choice. As we were doing the movie, I was I was there before him, obviously, because he wasn't there all the whole time. And... Uh, I was in like ad libbing and stuff like that, which they everybody seemed to like until the day he came in and they were like, Hey, Simon, we know you like to imp- improvise, but today stick to the script. Interesting. It's just, it's contractual, right? Yeah. With him and he's, you know, don't. He's a no nonsense kind of he's guy. He's a no nonsense. You just stick to the thing. Then, this is what I was going to ask you. Is it, I would imagine acting in anything with freaking John McClane is going to be intimidating, but when. It was, and but then he, he, he turned up and he was the nicest person in the world and then he also started saying whatever the hell he liked, you know, sort of. <laughs> and then people, and I had three people warn me, three, two producers and the director going, hey man, don't change anything. And then as soon as they, he sort of pulled the grenade up in on improvising, they were like, oh, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, oh, you know, so as long as he improvises, he I was like, you can do it. And I was like, ah, which they hadn't said to me before. Interesting. And I was like, and then obviously they didn't seem to know that he was going to do that sort of so. And uh, as soon as he did that, we had these whole sequences that were just completely unscripted. And for me, I was like, I'm improvising with John McClane. I was like, I so crazy. Teenage Simon is giving adult Simon a high five right now. Yes, 100%. <laughs> oh man, that's really, really cool. Uh, people can see that on Amazon Prime, I, I should say. They uh, probably, yeah. I think you have to rent that one. I was looking last night. I ended up watching uh, Butchers because I'm a cheap bastard. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But believe it or not, I don't actually watch. I don't make my family like watch 
sit down as I like, oh, we're going to watch Simon this. Do evening. you revisit I, your own performances? I just for, uh, couldn't growing stand no, right? doing any of that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have to kind of leave it all out. Even on oh, when we're on set, they're like they sometimes with the camera going wants to show you what you just the did or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, nah, honestly, man, I was like, I just, you be happy. The direct as long as the director's happy. I'll do. Otherwise, you start doing this thing of going, what am I doing with my face or my hands or, mm. you know, or ah, I look fat in that shot. I don't like, do you know, and you start thinking of all the other things yeah. and you're like, it really doesn't matter. I was like, as long as they're happy, you should be happy. Well, it leads me to a question I want to ask you about um, if you have any sort of techniques that you like to use to deal with criticisms of your performances, if you see them. There are, I always tell people to look up their favorite movie, whatever. Mine is Leon. The Professional here, it might be called. Oh, okay, the Luke okay, Besson yeah, yeah. movie. With um, John Reno, right? Yeah, yeah. and Natalie Portman. When she like, was very young, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's her first movie, but certainly one of her I, first. Yeah, I'd say so. My favorite movie, I consider it sort of flawless, is like just as things go. Um, and if you look at it online, there, and you go and you Amazon, IMDb, wherever you like to do these things, and read the reviews of the movie, you will find somebody that picks flaws in it. And to my mind, unbelievably, you know, sort of. And that's how I deal with criticism is like, you will always find people that absolutely hate what you do. Yeah. But as long as somebody somewhere is still writing you a check to keep doing it. Well, that's the thing, yeah. Then just keep doing it. But the price of that is, by the way, ignoring good reviews. Yeah, you so gotta, you, gotta shut it all You kind of, if you just, you're know, like, ah, you know, you did really good on that. You like, you have to kind of take that as as much as you would take someone saying you were terrible in that. You know, yeah. sort of, uh, and you have to, if you brush both of them out and go, ah, I know what I'm doing. And if people buy it, then people buy it. And if they don't, then they don't. That's a really healthy approach. Yeah, yeah it keeps you, honestly, it keeps you saying, otherwise there are no actors that worry in constantly about what other people think of them. And you're like, ah, as I, it makes you less confident in you you know so yeah. and also that these are people though that would try to be someone they're not i was like try, whenever you're doing a role try to just be a sort of a version of you it doesn't have to be exactly you obviously you're not a serial killer in real life yeah. but if you bring something of you to it it'll feel more three-dimensional than anger yourself to yeah yeah and then yeah. it feels and then people go oh there's something something comes across as real there in the middle yeah i mean i've been pretty lucky with youtube comments on this show that they've been resoundingly positive for the most part but every once in a while you get one uh, with a nugget of truth that really resonates where you're like, oh, he's calling me on. Yeah, I did cut that guy off too much or whatever it may be. And those are the ones I find they just cut right through you. I mean, if you can take those, because yeah, sometimes there's just hateful comments for like- Trolling or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and then there's no point. In those. But if, every now and then I suppose somebody could have a criticism which you could be like, oh, well, fair play. It's not and, malicious, but just- No, and factual, if you're able yeah. to use that and go, you know what, I'll take that and try and improve it. I think it's all about the person, it's all about the way you absorb it. You know, yeah. people can say that and you're like, but it's like uh, somebody once told me, I was like in an audition, they're like, I love you for it, man, you're just not tall enough. And you're like, okay. And you're like, I have, do you have to leave that one there? I was yeah. like, hey, I'm not sure how to deal with that. As like, platforms. Do you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. I, well, I, I'll, I'm, I am this height. So you know, there's yeah. nothing. And I don't feel bad about that one. Cause you're like, well, well okay. That, that wasn't for me anyway. Inevitable. You can't get that one. Yeah. Um, I was going to say with my limited uh, successes uh, in the acting world, one thing that happened to me recently, I think the only time I've ever actually gotten paid doing any of this uh, through Lisa of no fault of hers, but she booked me recently for a, uh, it was like a heritage moment Canadian thing with a bunch of soldiers. I think it was basically a glorified extra, but I was happy to do it. Uh, and I drove out to Quebec and 
the stipulation was I also had to shave my beard, which I did not take lightly. I, I enjoy my facial hair. I don't like being baby-ass clean-shaven. Um, so I did it, drove all the way out there. Uh, I had been very clear about what time I'd be able to get there. And they're like, yeah, no, no, come. We've got lots of work, you know. And I got there within five minutes. They're like, oh, what we needed you for, we did it at like 7.30. And so I hounded them, and I, they ended up paying me. And I was the only one who ended up getting paid because I, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease or whatever. But you, I wanted to know if you, sorry, there's a long-winded question, but if you have ever shaved your beard for a role and if um if not or, or either way i wanted to know if there was anything you wouldn't do for a role nudity etc uh i i haven't shaved my beard for a role um because i'll probably i'd end up single number one probably if i did that <laughs> and uh but number two when i was young i was uh, i didn't have a beard so uh, like when i was 21 obviously not when i was young obviously, well, Maybe I did, but when i was 21 i had a sort of a bit more clean shaven approach um and i was trying to be the sort of um square jawed hero uh, roles that's actually what I was going for and I got a couple of these jobs and what happened was is I got them and they just didn't they did okay the movies but uh, they just it, they didn't sit right you know sort of and then I got a role as a bad a sort of sarcastic bad guy and I grew my beard and then my agent at the time was like uh, that's your thing you know, mm. sort of, and you, and I, it felt a bit more comfortable. I was like, because I was like, yeah, I'm not the hero guy, actually. You know, so I'm number one. I'm not six foot square jawed, six pack. That that wasn't me, anyway. Now you could hustle yourself into that position. You know, sort of, if as being a, an actor, you could get do a good audition and you would get that role. But something is this sort of a disparity. You don't, you don't really suit it. Is the thing. You know, sort yeah. of. Um, I always remember seeing uh, Gangs in New York. Leonardo DiCaprio is a great actor, okay, but he's not a tough guy. And in gangs of New York, they have him at the center of these incredibly giant, masculine, tough guys all around him, you know, sort of convincing. And he's still, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's still like a pretty face. A pretty boy. You know, a pretty say, boy. Yeah. And he feels out of place. So they they change the script to make him a lover a bit more, you know, like mm. he's uh, sort of, because he's not a fighter, you know, not, not in that scenario. So you're like, even though the film is really good and I really enjoyed it, he feels slightly out of place in it, you know, because you're like, it feels like everyone else was just brought in because they were decent actors and then they plonked Leonardo DiCaprio in it to make it possible financially. It was like, yeah, well, yeah. he's a superstar, so let's put him in it. And you're like, yes, but there was a, he didn't seem to fit Some that environment very yeah. well, you know, sort of. And, and in latter years, you know, he's grown into, I think it picked his roles a bit better, sort of uh, knowing that that's true. And I think as an actor, whenever you go for something, uh, you should do the same. You should go, I if I could get this job, would I do a good job in it? Because actually getting it is one thing. And then if it, but if it's dis, like, if it's disparaging to you or it doesn't really help you, then why bother doing it? You need to kind of push it along. Uh, and if you can't, I, I don't think if you're going to, if you're going to get a role and you can't do it very well, uh, then you shouldn't do it probably. Even if there's the, they go, yeah, we'd like you to do this. And you're like, I guess oh. it depends on the paycheck sometimes. So, so and obviously, <laughs> paycheck's uh, yeah, overweigh those things. They're like, because uh, sometimes they think I've done that before, and they think you're negotiating, and they're like, okay, here, you know, here's double, you know, so yeah, yeah. we need you next week, and you're like, okay, tell, right, tell them I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, you were saying you were clean shaven back when you were in your early twenties, but I would argue though that that was also more in style back then, like. With Game of Thrones and that sort of era, I feel like the last 10 years, beards have really had a resurgence in... Yeah. Almost I, every guy has a beard these days. Do, do you know what it is? I don't think it, it's... Uh, you're right on the beards thing, but I, what I think it is is that back if you go back uh, 20, 30 years, what people considered movie stars and film actors were were actually clean-shaven, six-foot-tall, ripped, and very good-looking. And then 
what happened in the 90s was a, a lot of um there was a lot of like what i call realistic television came about where people were like actually superstars became very average looking you know mm. sort of you had the the rise of people like Ricky Gervais or you know so or you know even Gary Oldman and people like that very yeah. like very good actors and uh, you know comedians and stuff like that and they're like, not like Ryan Reynolds but they weren't yeah. these impossibly good looking Harrison Ford type you know that model yeah. had kind of been broken a little bit and so people wanted because people find it hard to empathize I think with Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt and you're like because even at their worst they look incredible you yeah. know sort of um whereas they feel a bit more comfortable if, if you want them to identify with, uh, you know, somebody else, you know, so they go, well, actually he looks a bit like me. And I think there was, there was, because there were so many films being made and sort of entertainment exploded a bit. Uh, there was room for that all of a sudden. And uh, that's what, I think that's what gave it rise. So people actually wanted average looking people. You could, cause it's more relatable. It's more relatable and they could still be amazing actors, which, you know, sort of, it wasn't a barrier. They didn't have to be the sort of Cary Grant or, you know, Marlon Brando's anymore. That was an old idea. Which is fantastic because uh, to think of all the amazing actors that might have been falling to the wayside during that earlier era, you know? Well, they, there was a way, you must know Bob Hoskins, obviously. Yes, um, yes. Bob Hoskins had a thing of saying, because he never fit the mold, right? Him and yeah. he was a, him and Danny DeVito were good friends, and if you, which is ridiculous. <laughs> you could kind of see that, yeah, that, problem, that might have been true. Um, and Bob Hoskins was, he goes, they always wanted me. And he goes, because I was like, mm, something a bit different because they'd yeah. have all these things, and then him. And it goes and it goes, but I'd give them, you know, I could do the job, yeah. but I, I, I couldn't be the main guy, but I could be the, you know, the support guy. And I, they, he got a lot of jobs because he looked different. Nowadays, I think I would argue that it's full of Bob Hoskins. Yeah, it's you much know, more mainstream of, to be. Yeah, yeah, to be in that sort of uh, th space now. I always think of him from uh, Hook was the first thing I ever saw him in when I was a kid. Yeah, Hook. Smee, he was like uh, Captain Hook's little right hand That's man. That's right, yeah. he was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was in that Jet Li movie too, right? Where he uh, Jet Li was like an animal of a man that they kept in a cage. And he kept him on a collar, didn't he? Yeah, and he was like yeah. the, you know, the owner, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, I usually throw it at my dad sometimes to see if he's got a question going on. Uh, so do you have something this time around? Switch to his mic. Yeah. Um, I guess the question that I would have for you, Simon, is <clears throat> why do you like acting? What is it about acting? I mean, was it, you obviously were into it from an early age, but... Why? My mother was an actress uh, and a failed actress, and she, she's now a theatre director. Um, but she never really got her shot at doing it, um, sort of. So, like, she never, like, my father uh, never really supported her doing it. So, you know, that was the sort of decision. And she, she allowed that. So I think it's... Uh, from an early age, she sort of encouraged me to do something. And obviously at an early age, my father discouraged it sort of. Um, so it was that sort of, um, I don't know, I wasn't a kid you could say no to very easily. And I had this absolute unwillingness to do a normal job um, sort of. And I think that's the only way actually you can be an actor. If you can if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, like being a chef, being a, a cop, being a lawyer, being a, if you can imagine yourself doing absolutely anything else, you should go ahead and do that. If you if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, then you it's, it's easy to find the energy to get rejected a lot and keep going until people accept you. That doesn't always work for people because obviously you can still love acting and not really get any success at it. But uh, I don't know if there's any value in doing in spending your life doing something you don't like, mm. even if you're not successful. And a, and a follow-up, if I could, you've already sort of alluded to, you know, not being the, the chiseled chin leading man sort of type. Um, 
But when you started doing this full time and this was your thing, was there the hope in the back of your head that maybe one day you were going to be like an A-list type actor or were you, were you already thinking, I just want to be a journeyman actor and a good character actor or, or what have you? Maybe it's the, uh, the British training in us, but when, um, a lot of kids today, when they see all these shows like the X factor and stuff like this, they want to be famous. When I was at school, everybody wanted to be a great actor and they would have like, I want to be a Michael Caine or a Gary Oldman. And they would have, they would aspire to be that type of actor. Um, and I think that's for me, that's definitely the, uh, I'd love to be a character actor. I don't really ever want to be Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt. I don't see myself in those positions. But I'd love to be the guy people can't quite name, you know, going, ah, oh, yeah, that guy, yeah. But they've seen you in lots <laughs> the of guy places. Who's in everything, yeah. they, they don't know who you are, but as soon as someone shows them a picture, they go, oh, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I saw him. What from? I don't know. I don't know. Like lots of things. Nothing. I don't know. I can't remember. But uh, when, I, when I see those guys, I, I do usually say, but he's good. Yes, they, yeah. they often, it's often a, a face, you know, and they go, yeah, 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 he's, uh, yeah, and they'll, they'll watch it just based on that being it, but it's not a, it's not what I would call a name, like you, you know, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Robert, those are names, yeah. you know, and you, you know, sort of, I don't, but there are plenty of actors that we all know that are very good, yeah. um, who maybe don't roll off the tongue so easily, and you're like, oh no, I, and I would ha be happy existing as one of those, because they, they still have plenty of success, they're very respected and revered in the industry. I would imagine it's a, a much more palatable version of fame too to be yeah. uh, somebody who gets steady work and has a niche fan group you know like a some sort of show everybody loves but outside of that audience you're not going to get harassed walking down the street or something like that you know yeah i mean yeah it must be actually difficult to, to be in the pocket just that perfect sort of zone of like, yeah i'm making good the, money the sweet spot <laughs> yeah i'm well connected but i don't have you know the every average joe harassing me every five seconds yeah i think that would be and then you know you can turn your hand to a lot of these uh, a lot of different things within entertainment you can yeah. do theater and you can do stuff like that but these guys other than that it, it feels quite tough for them <laughs> Well, I want to ask, um, I want to get into Butchers, which I was, watched last night, but also um, just horror stuff in general. And, and also the fact that you seem to be, from what I've gathered, cast uh, often as a murderer, uh, murderous Santa Claus in one instance, you know, a criminal, these types of roles. So uh, I wanted to know if there was a, maybe not a dream role, but a role very much outside of your wheelhouse that you're sort of pining for in the, in the subconscious. I like, I love doing comedy. Uh, so I like sort of, I find, I find comedy because I like ad-libbing, right? You know, sort of an ad-libbing lends itself to being funny. Obviously you're thinking of, you know, where stuff goes organically. Um, but uh, I made a couple of comedies and they've been, uh, you know, not successful. So they go, yeah, and it's not one person's fault or another. It, it's one of those things of like, comedies actually have to be either amazing or they're nothing. You don't find a lot of mid-range comedies, you know, where people go, yeah, it was okay. It's very forgettable it, though. Yeah. It, that's the problem, if it's forgettable, in for whatever reason, it tends to, it's not a success, you know, mm. sort of, and that's the problem with a comedy. A horror film can be forgettable and still be successful because they're like, it's going, yeah, it was worth a watch, you know, sort of type thing. A comedy doesn't get that criticism. It's kind of like, it's either amazing or it's not, and that, or it's very funny or it's not. And comedies are generally sort of the uh, movies that, at least in a lot of instances, they're created hoping to reach a lot of like a broad audience because yeah. you know comedy is something we all experience from one time or another we find something funny and hopefully everyone will like this but horror i think has such a an, an a laneway 
where like there's so many people who just love horror and that's all they watch and you know the audience is very loyal in horror yeah and so but the part of the problem with comedy is it has such generic appeal that it appeals to nobody specifically and that's like and so the audience isn't uh you know there isn't a niche audience who go you're going to like this yeah comedy can, as you say can be for anybody and that's sort of what alienates it at that sales stage as well because it, it, it also means it's for nobody well i joke but that's very very much something that i've i've experienced with doing this show is that early on i thought okay if i make it a weed podcast or even a comedy podcast we had tons of stand-up comedians on here but i never wanted to limit to myself even if it's at, at my own uh, you know detriment just because i wanted to keep it open-ended talk to anybody that i, I find interesting you yeah know? i think you, that, that is the thing you should keep open to any kind of uh, thing i look i keep getting horror work and those sort of type of things because they, they like you in that um and if they like you you know, you as an actor, you're the subject of somebody else's whim anyway. Mm. You know, so it's whatever they give you, whatever the audition comes up, whatever the the project is. So it's always going to be for the, you know the the same sort of thing. Like I mean, I keep getting things, and they go, "Look, this is this scene is you threatening a girl," you know, and you're like, "We're, we're going to be okay, don't worry." <laughs> I, I I got this. Yeah, this is not my first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you need to be able to intimidate her? And I was like, "We're we're going to be okay." Don't worry. Well, that's a good segue into the movie Butchers, which I did watch last night, which is also on Amazon. Um, people should check it out. I found the performance is very disturbing in, in the best way, um, yours especially. Uh, cinematography was something that really took me off guard, too. The shots they got in that movie were really nice. The colors were so vibrant. And uh, I don't know. It's, I'm not someone who normally notices that kind of thing, but that was something that stood out to me. Yeah, the, the director, Adrian Langley, right right from here, Ottawa. Um, was it shot here? It was shot in Merrickville, so okay. very, very near here. Yeah, um, that's a nice place. Um just he was a cinematographer by by trade, I guess, and this is his he's directing now, but this, this is his one of his first big ones, I think. Um, and he just knew what he was after visually, and he had enough confidence to. Um, actually, I'm going to tell you a story about this. When they first sure, came, yeah. they, when they first came to it, they were looking for one guy. They were like, "There's going to be one bad guy. He's this, you know, big thing that threatened, you know." And I was like, oh. "So I read it and." My suggestion was, I was like, I love the dialogue and it's it's good fun and everything, but really, I don't feel good with the that I would be able to trap four kids. You know, sort of. Uh, it feels I, I, for me, I feel you're looking for the more heels of eyes, sort of six foot four guy. Yeah. You know, and in the end, he wrote a second role and made it my brother, so that we would be able to do it two handed, and which felt better for me anyway. Sort of, um, and I was like, good because he does the he my brother does the heavy lifting and the violence, yeah, and I just do the threatening. You were like the uh, the kingpin of the operation. Yeah, yeah, sort of. I was the smarter of the two brothers. Sort Smarter, of. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they were particularly smart, but anyway, well, the smarter. And the third guy, he was a brother as well, or, or that's right. They okay. they made all that spoiler uh, alert. Yeah, yeah, that's right. At the end of the movie, um, and that was Nick Allen. I recognized him right away. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Nick. Yeah, and shout that. out to Julie as well because she was very popping on screen and and a great actress. Julie is and fantastic. Speaking yeah. of day jobs, she's a nurse, is she not? So that that's, that blows my mind. Always impressed that uh, people are able to do, and like not just a job. Like she's not like she's a waitress or something. Like a mm -hmm. nurse, you know, like actually on the front exactly. line doing stuff. Yeah, uh, super impressed and that. killing it on the on the uh, you know acting side of things as well. She's very very busy, which is uh, a good place to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, this next question actually comes from uh, my fiance Kelly. Uh, I very much want to know this as well, though. When you are embodying a character that is literally hacking limbs off of teenagers in a gruesome way, you got to watch this. Um, do you find that it weighs on your psyche at all post project? Have you ever had any of it 
you know, I don't want to say take your work home with you because that'd be limbs no. at this point. No, for people, people always uh, say, I, I take this as a compliment, but they do the thing of like, right up until action, I'll be able to be normal with people. And then right on action, I can be something else. And then right on cut, I go back to just me. But it is, a, I sometimes get a complaint that it's not that easy for other people. Mm. So they, they like to get emotionally in the right place, um, you know, and, which is, is fair enough. But when it's something as ridiculous as butchers, you're like, actually, I d if this isn't really drama. This is so far out of reality that actually I find it's even you're able to flick it on, flick it off. Um, as well, much, but much you as, as the killer, I feel like that might be easier to do than the victim. Right. So the victims have to yeah. work up to this. They, you know, sort of. Um, and when, even when I'm the killer, I'm not emotionally, uh, you know, so I'm actually very sarcastic as a killer, very yeah. casual. So actually it helps me to talk to the person normally, you know, rather it than... It made your character creepier, in my opinion. Yeah. That you were so, uh, you know, laissez-faire about murdering people. <laughs> like, and that was my thing with Adrian, the director, was like, in the whole movie, I never wanted to touch anybody. And I was like, so... I was like, because I was like, I find, I find that you can be very threatening without touching people. Mm. The minute you put your hand on someone, you've lost a bit of power. I was like, I don't need to touch you to threaten you, you know, sort of. It, it's shove a, a shotgun barrel down your throat. Yeah, yeah, sort <laughs> of. Uh, you will feel, you know, under pressure, sort of. Uh, well, and you had the other boys doing the uh, the gruesome stuff anyway, so it's right. not like it wasn't present. No. There is one the scene, again, spoilers, that, oh, my God. I mean, I had a little bit of edibles last night, probably a bad idea. And I proceeded to cook a big uh, fish meal, uh, meal kit afterwards, and I'm largely a vegetarian, so... Watching you butcher these people and then having to like <laughs> do all this. I don't know. Maybe it makes me sound like a wuss or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it was pretty dark stuff and, and it definitely got under my skin. I'm not going to lie, man. I think that was uh, that was his intent. So anyway, yeah, you're not going to like these guys. Oh, sorry. The, the scene I was talking about was um, when he, he has the two by the car and she runs off. And he's already sort of bashed the one guy. He's lying on the ground, but he doesn't want him to get away while he's off running for the girl. So yeah. he just cuts the back of his calf muscles so he won't be able to run anywhere. Oh, his Achilles. Thought, yeah, yeah. The, oh, the Achilles tendon. Yeah. yeah, I just thought that was so dark and twisted. Do you know what? I, that was day one of filming. And I remember I remember Freddie uh, doing that. He was the actor doing it. And he let out this, like, guttural scream. Like, which in the we had some read-throughs. And it, obviously he didn't have a great deal of... Uh, dialogue in the thing so I was like I was unsure of what he was going to be like because you know, it was hard with him. but then he did this thing and I was like Jesus yeah. Christ uh, hurtling, yeah. yeah it was hard to watch it being filmed never mind and I was like yeah man people are gonna because he was like dragging himself on the gravel to try and get away from this guy so it was uh, yeah it was terrifying actually it's yeah. funny when I uh, because I, watching this last night made me realize that I have fallen a long way from my teenage years of loving horror as, as opposed to being just you know I guess because I'm getting older, I, my own mortality is, is a little more staring back at me or whatever. But I, I've definitely learned that I can't digest it the same way no. that I used to. You this, know? Is, this is the mistake people make as well. They think, I, because I'm in horror a lot, they think, I, they go, oh, you love horror. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in horror a lot. I was like, when I come home and watch something, it isn't, or nine times out of ten, it is not horror. <laughs> you know, sort of, uh, I don't, because horror movies actually scare me. Like, they, st they still actually they terrify yeah. me. I have that complete suspension of disbelief. Like, I can watch a movie, and like, when there's a bang, I'm like, properly... Mm. Jumped. I jumped and I'm like, oh, no, fuck, you know, I need to watch a Family Guy or something. I need to, you know, so I need to <laughs> chill out with palette, something else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, this is too much. I can't watch it right before I go to bed, so even now. Let me share a trick with you then. This is uh, my personal method if I'm getting freaked out by a movie that I'm watching alone or something, yeah. is to 
uh, remind myself of sort of the behind the scenes. Picture somebody like a, someone farting and causing a blooper or something like that, and then all of a sudden it, it sort of brings it back to the real world, and I can differentiate, you know, from I the fiction. To, my my technique is to uh, plug my ears. <laughs> I find that I can watch it, but it's the musical, the, the you know, the jump sound yeah. that k- kills me. So, it, but if I I can watch it, but if I plug my ears, I can get through it. <laughs> the suspenseful uh, score. I know. Yeah, I yeah. Know. That, I shouldn't tell this as I, I'm, I've got this other persona on screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually wanted that to be a bit of a question. If um, my blooper thing is my method, but if you had any favorite bloopers uh, on any set you've been on, f- really funny moments that have gone down. Oh. Uh, d- no, not 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 massively. No, no, okay. no, 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 I haven't actually had any. Well, we have bloopers like people forgetting lines and stuff like that, but I've never had any uh, huge blooper that was uh, worthy of <laughs> worthy of Love an this question. No, no, no. All right, fair. Um, well, we'll move it on then. I, I falsely assumed you were a big horror buff too, based on uh, you know your persona on screen and a lot of the roles you've had. Uh, so I did prepare this question, which hopefully you'll regardlessly <laughs> regardlessly you'll answer regardless, um, which is. Who do you think are the top three, or even just top one, if you prefer uh, horror villains of all time? Oh, uh, well, there, well, I mean, I I'd say that question is more of an actor's because there are some terrifying performances, you know, mm. sort of of people. Um, I suppose it, my as, as a top uh, horror villain. I mean, I've got to. That's why I'm, I give you top three if it's too hard to choose just one. It is a little bit. I, I mean, I, I love. Ro- I, I did a movie with this guy, but Robert England yeah, as Freddy Krueger. Yes. You know, sort of like, as a child haunted Iconic. me. And then when I was younger, I did a, a movie with him, and he was still terrifying, and, and right there in the flesh. But he was able to t- switch it on, switch it off. So hmm. Robert England as Freddy Krueger is my number He's one. He's probably on the Mount Rushmore of horror. Anyway. He's got to be, right? I mean, but there are other. I mean, God, my God, there are so many talented people. I'm going to leave someone out here. No, Freddy Krueger is the top. No, no, no. He's the no, top. He's yeah. the top for me. What yeah, do yeah. you think, Dad? What do you give it to? I don't watch work. Well, you must have seen some horrors in your life. You know the main players. What is there's Krueger, obviously, but there's um, Jason Voorhees. We've got Chucky, Leatherface, Michael Myers. Now, some uh, some of those you see are behind masks. Right, so I find yeah. it's uh, where well, uh, Robert England is obviously behind a bit of prosthetics anyway. But it's still uh, his his it, character. I feel you feel yeah. you feel him a bit more than Leatherface or Michael Myers. Do you know what I mean? They, Michael Leatherface Myers, has someone else's face. <laughs> yes, indeed. What's it as Michael Myers? He has um, Michael well, Myers. I mean, literally another person's face in the case of Michael Myers. Literally has um, what's his name? Oh, it's William Shatner. William Shatner's face. But you're talking about the mask. I mean, the character, fictionally speaking, of Michael Myers is actually sporting the flesh of a of a victim. You yeah. Know? Actually, he he's the one that made me uncomfortable. What? Who? Leather Michael Ray? Myers. Oh, Michael Myers. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's the sort of dehumaning yeah. thing from him. You he's know, stalking so, slowly, and you, and you don't know what he wants. You know what I mean? That, so, that's, I think, part of it for me. Like, I go like, well, "What's with this guy?" Like Jesus, you know? Yeah, because as soon as you think someone's just mental, it it ups the scared level because you're like, "Oh, well, they have no reservations about anything." They're yeah. Well, plus, different... you can't kill him. Like, what the hell? Yeah. He's a human being, is he not? But no, he is. Yeah, he escaped a mental institute after killing his family, I believe. But I, I mean, know. he got like he should have been dead a hundred times. He got over. shot a couple. Times. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. there is this sort of superhuman element. Yeah, to him, yeah. Isn't there as well? So, so then, then your mind can go, well, maybe he's powered by the power of hell or something like it that. De- yeah. It depends on the version, because I know Rob Zombie did some remakes, uh, and I think he made two of them that were linear. They followed each other, but in the second one, he he was seeing the ghost of his dead mom or something so i don't know if that means he's supernaturally powered but they were trying to imply maybe mm. some spiritual forces were you know i don't know if you've ever seen you guys have ever seen a movie an australian movie called wolf creek 
Ooh. No, oh. terrifying performance. Werewolf? Like uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, no, sorry, it's not oh, werewolf. No. Oh, okay, okay. It's about a guy that kidnaps a bunch of teenagers. It's, it's sort of similar to Butcher's uh, thing. And the guy, I, I don't know the actor's name, but he, he was absolutely terrifying. It's about a 10-year-old movie, Australian movie, but Hugh, and it was based, sorry, what's more terrifying is it's based on a true story yeah. that they never Don't caught, you hate that? Yeah. <laughs> and they never caught the guy, which is like, you know, sort of, it was yeah, just an unexplained murder. And um, Sorry, it was an unexplained murder of a bunch of people and one person survived. Mm. And then there was this whole big Australian thing about, I don't know, the person that survived was somehow in on it or there was, there was something foul play there or, you know. That, Sinister. Yeah. But it was a lone survivor, which is obviously a dangerous thing. I have learned, though, as someone who did used to watch a lot of horror movies, that most of the time the based on true events is as loosely based as you can imagine. Yes, you know? as in there were two people that once didn't like each other. And well, that's like, where the story uh, changed. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> yeah. there were two guys once. You know? Yeah. Um, but Leatherface was an example of that. He was very loosely based on Ed Gein, from what I've heard, and sort of the the really disgusting shit they found in his apartment. Like, uh, but it's, it's spawned its own. Yeah, it became sort of like, you know, yeah. that's loosely based. But tying into all this and you uh, talking about not touching anyone and how mm. that was scarier. Have you ever seen The Strangers? Yes. Yeah. That movie scared the shit out of me. Yeah, and again, a lot of that, remember, was them not in contact with them. But what, what you were freaked out more... Is in the first half of the movie was just their presence, you know, sort of. It was very and being manipulated with so openly yeah. and and being powerless, you know. Yeah. The, the phone's missing all of a sudden. And yeah, some creepy girls knocking on the door, but she doesn't do anything. She just freaks the shit out of you, you know. And it's, uh, it's very disconcerting. Have you movie. seen that film, Dad? The Strangers. It's got uh, Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. I believe are the two leads, and also um, there's another one as well. Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny in Philadelphia before he was on that show. There's a sequel to it, you know, as well. That I haven't seen. I assumed it was going to be one of those, yeah, you know, sequels. So. But um, the first film, very, very different, very scary. The first half an hour, I hope I haven't talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, the first half an hour is like this romantic situation where he's just proposed to her and she said no, but they're still stuck at this cottage for the weekend or whatever. And you I know. think it's good. They spend too much time doing that yeah and they, but then you think oh this is going to be a different movie they make you comfortable and they, they do they they spend a lot of time making you comfortable and then you go oh it's going to be this type of movie and then it slowly like as slowly as you can imagine but in and, the but, best it, but, way. but it sort of winds you pretty tight then by the end you know so rather than giving you that opening kill you know some movies go straight into a kill yeah. and you're like oh geez it's gonna be a gore fest. and you're like okay but then you're sort of uh you're bracing yourself for the next one whereas that one sort of drew you in very slowly very deliberately and then you know and then started to play with you like like they played with the you know the couple in the yeah, they, they instilled this feeling of helplessness that just grew and grew and yeah. grew. And he goes to get smokes because he's pissed about their relationship being on the on the ledge. And she starts to notice the weird shit. And at the one point when she puts the record on, I don't even think she's freaked out at this point. And you see the man just kind of come Behind in the frame. And then go out again. And then he just pieces out again. Yeah. He's just, you know, they're taking their time and it's so much creepier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but again, that was an example of a based on true events, which is, uh, yeah. I looked into it and I can't find pretty much anything. No, so, yeah. Because if it was based on true events, both those people died. Yeah, well, I mean, so it could have happened. Who, though. Who's recounting the story of how? Oh, well, I mean, in they frame that movie that there's these little Mormon kids. The movie starts oh, off yeah, with that right, post-murder, these right, two sorry, kids yeah, finding yeah. the the crime scene, so to speak. And the end of the movie is these mur this murderous couple and their kid, I guess. Yeah. Then they get away, you know. And they wear masks the entire time, which is also kind of unnerving because they're not scary 
Well, it's dehumanizing, isn't it? One of the things I find scary is sometimes when we look at someone as a villain as well, what we like to, what makes the James Bond villain pretty safe is he wants to take over the world and he, and he, you're given sort of steps on how he wants to do it. Mm. He might be crazy and I go, but he do, he has a goal. A very scary villain is one that doesn't really have an agenda. It's an anarchist. Because they can't be negotiated with, they can't be bartered with, you know, sort yeah. of, uh, and that makes them more, because you don't know what they want. Yeah. And if you don't know what they want, then you don't know why why they're doing it and why they and that might be so scary and that was one of the wisest lines i think adrian included in um in butchers earlier on one of the kids was begging me for to answer like why are you doing why are you doing this and you're like and we just don't answer it we're like you're like because it needs to be done and you're like that's that's his answer to the question you're like what and people are hopefully are thinking Jeez, what needs to be done you know why why do they think that what that doesn't answer anything yeah you know but that's that's what makes it scary i think i thought uh a really unnerving part of that was, again, this is massive spoiler, so I've told you to go watch it, but I'm going to yeah. keep digging into the plot because it was interesting. Um, but the your brother in that has sort of been, I don't want to say nurturing, but keeping this one victim you know, alive. And when she kills herself, ultimately, because she's existing in this pure hell, he just loses it. But it, it shows he still has some weird fucking emotional side because he starts crying. And it's just like, man, what, what parents did these people have? Yes, well, we start a movie burying with our the mom, yeah, with burying the mother, yeah. Um, I would love to know who, what character that was. You know, I'd love the, to see her. Indeed, I think they're going to make another one of those. By the way, a uh, prequel, maybe or a no? prequel, yeah. So not not with me and Michael, but um, with um, another story connected to this story. I think. Very cool. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm keen to see. It. I'm actually very keen to see it as a fan. So yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea. I should tell you the idea behind it actually, because okay. I know what it was. Is that what these guys wanted was family. So when they kidnapped these girls, they were trying to get them pregnant or keep them prisoner and get them pregnant mm -hmm. to raise their own family. As ultimately one of them did. Yeah. Or you did, I suppose it was you. I think it was me and not Michael, yeah. <laughs> the other guy yeah, thought yeah. it was him. But yeah, yeah, but he was simple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's one of those things, one of the characters that might believe this girl somehow got pregnant without her touching her. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. So, uh, he was very much, um cannot remember the character's name, but... Um, is it Mice and Men? Is that the... Yeah, he's Lenny. George, in, Lenny, there Lenny, you go. Yeah. George and Lenny. Yeah, I read he's that in school ages ago. He's the big dumb one, doesn't quite get it. And know, he, he breaks the girl's neck from dancing with her the wrong way a little too hard. or he they, And he's that neck. guy, isn't he? He crushes something with his strength, but you know, he's a gentle giant, really, sort of, except... That's been exploited. Yeah, yeah. sort of, he's been manipulated to sort yeah. of do bidding, sort of type thing. So, Yeah, and, and that's the idea behind it, is that they want a family, and when that's why when mom dies at the beginning they're trying to rebuild that mm. that's the goal basically i mean obviously it's very messed up but that's Super that's the idea up. yeah it was uh, it really reminded me of a lot of films that i saw when i was big into horror in the early 2000s and uh, yeah i don't know why it just really did the cinematography reminded me of the um Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel from yeah. like 2003 or five there was a lot of these really dark shadowy creepy shots that still somehow to be able to capture something dark and shadowy, but still have it be detailed, if that makes sense, I don't know. Do you know? Do you know what one of the things was as well? It's funny because people describe that a lot like that. The entire movie is in the daytime. Okay. And yet, when you think of it, you think it's nighttime. And I was like, no, even in the barn, you know, it's daytime. Like the the barn has like you can see, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. see the sun outside. That's so true. everything that happens happens in the daytime. There's no nighttime at all in that whole movie. That's and so that's true. what. And the Adrian, the director, it was something he deliberately wanted. He goes, he's trying to make daytime scary. Nighttime is often scary in a horror movie because it's nighttime. You know yeah. that there's no safety at night. But actually, he made this. A bit hills of eyes that actually daytime isn't safe either. You know, so daytime can be very dangerous. And but so it's the whole cool movie is daytime. It's extra misleading because the daytime 
when you're when you're trying to you know be with the protagonist and put yourself in their shoes the daytime seems to imply this false sense of oh maybe we can make it <laughs> yeah it gives you, you know that. well they always have the don't they in these horror movies they have nighttime and then as soon as the scene cuts to a daytime you're like okay you know, yes, they, yeah, there's, you there's, breathe there's a breath from yeah. it <laughs> as they build up to the nighttime you've no idea why these people stick around for nighttime you know again oh we'll just wait for darkness to fall and then we'll head out first thing in the morning and you're like no <laughs> leave now oh man um I want to talk about another, the crazy Santa Claus role that you did. This seemed uh, to have two different names, this film, right? Yeah. The Nights Before Christmas and what was the other one? Oh, uh, Once Upon a Time at Christmas? Once Upon a Time at oh, Christmas. Oh, these are two different movies. Oh, they are? Yeah, okay. one's a sequel. Yeah, so Once Upon a Time at Christmas is the first one and Nights Before Christmas oh, my mistake. Is, the, is the second one. But they're both, they both follow the same um, narrative thread of two um, a crazy Mr. and Mrs. Claus going around killing people. Well, the main <laughs> question I, I wanted to ask you about was that uh, I had read that your most of your lines had to be overdubbed afterwards because you had a grill in in your teeth and it was They you know, I had this thing fitted in when we were doing prep and they were like you need to practice with it in like it's like any one of these things practice with it in. And I was like, yeah, of course I will. And obviously I didn't. Uh, so when we got to set and I'm trying to kill people and sound very you know, threatening. I'm like, Merry Christmas, everybody. You know, sort of with this constant lip. And then, you know, the director's like, we're, we're going to have to dub. It's not going to work. You know, it was like the visual is working, but. Well, I can imagine it would be like trying to act in like those uh, Halloween vampire teeth. You yeah. Know? And it was like that. But on the second movie, I didn't have to, I managed to get it on the second movie. So on the second movie, I did practice with the girl. Nice. <laughs> so, so I didn't have to do because I hate dubbing stuff. I'm like, I'd much rather that they use the original audio because the original audio is with the actor and you're in the moment. Yeah. Whereas when you dub stuff, you're in a room on your own, you know, sort of pretending. You can't capture the same feeling. No, and yeah. you're like, you're like, ah, oh, I wish you could use the original. So on the second one, on the second movie, I made sure I practiced with it. Well, you saying that you can uh, survive as an actor, make enough money, and all that. I wanted to ask if you do voice work. Is that something that you? I've I've done a uh, I've done a few bits and pieces on voice, but uh, I, I didn't so. With Lisa, seen as we have the most the same agent, I will tell you, I don't go in for any commercials or anything like that because, I, uh, again, I don't. I, I just say to her, I, I don't want to do any of that stuff because I don't. I don't think I'm that commercial actor. I don't think you're going to be able to find me selling coffee or meat, you know, or whatever it is. I was like, I'm not. It doesn't really matter for me about the payday on those ones. It's like it's just not something I'm trying to do. Mm. And full respect to anyone that can do it, but uh, I find commercial auditions are like cattle calls. To, you know, it's thousands of people and. It's not massively based on, I'm going to sound really offensive here. It's not massively based on the person's skill. It's just like you have to fit the exact thing they're looking, they're looking for. for yeah. But the, you may as well be cookie cutter, sort of placed in and placed out. And you're given no room. Nobody's ever watched a commercial and gone, my God, that was an impressive impressive performance. Yeah. That, that, you know, sort of, it's either someone you don't know and they're just, uh, you know, a, a moving prop type thing, or it's a famous person selling out, like George Clooney trying yeah. to do the espresso commercials. You know, and that. But then you're very aware that's George Clooney sort of giving his, "Hey, I'm George Clooney. I recommend this seal of approval." Yeah, yeah sort of. But uh, in, and yet, I've, oddly enough, a lot of big successful actors have old commercials and stuff that they did at one point appear in. Yes, you can see and, on YouTube. And whenever they and whenever they're shown them at these interviews, they go, "Here's a commercial of you doing, you know, a car, you know, from thirty years ago." They they cringe, you know, because they're like, ah, you know, and they tell they tell they all tell the same story. Yeah, that commercial stuck around for like four years. You know, it was like it was on everywhere. You know, like, yeah, they don't get paid enough 
for that. They, they also do uh, several big, big name actors will do foreign commercials. Mm. So they're not seen in America. So it's they like don't look like they're still being huge in Germany. For yeah. Us. Or they, but, Japan's a big, <laughs> big yes. place they go. Yeah. Schwarzenegger can do a, a, a like a cell phone ad for just a Japanese network, knowing that it will never be seen in the States. Exactly. So it cheapen yeah. his, uh, yeah. his overall appeal. And uh, I've got the feeling they're extremely lucrative too. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 When these, these, you know, when you think about these guys, like when it's Apple or something like that, you know, they've got big checkbooks. Yep. yep. Yeah. So that's, the, that's the Simon plan is that I don't want to do a commercial until I get to a point where they're, they're sort of, you know, they're going, hey, can you do this? You know, as Simon, you know, and you'll be selling cell phones or something, but as you, you know, sort of. Now, that will never happen, remember, because I'm not going down the Leonardo DiCaprio line. <laughs> they, they never want the character actor to do it. Plus, you know, Gary Oldman isn't going to sell cell phones. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, there's some actors you're like, well, no, they'll never engage with that. They, they, if you offer them mm. that, they'll be like, hey, no, that's not for me. Sorry. You're not going to see like Daniel Day Lewis, like, no, he's not. Doing Pepsi commercials. It doesn't something. matter if they give him, cut him a check for $20 million for. Yeah. half a day's work he's not gonna do it is he you know, and then there's other actors that do that shit a lot you know yeah, like McConaughey is. and people who will the people that just oh you pick gotta watch yeah I'll, I'll sell that shit yeah yeah there's people that do it and they you know but they do it probably for the highest the highest amount don't they so if they wait till they're Matthew McConaughey and yeah exactly like, yeah you're sure I'll sell Lincoln cars for you no problem yeah. alright 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I have a, a couple of fun random questions uh, I want to well, mainly one, actually. I saw an old, I tried to do a deep dive into your stuff, and uh, I saw an old Instagram clip of you getting pulled over in Delaware, which you uh, addressed as being the second time you had been pulled over in uh, Delaware. Delaware, yeah. So this is uh, just an entry to a question about uh, if you had a favorite U.S. state to visit or work in. Oh, uh, favorite U.S.? I did a lot of work in Virginia, uh, North Carolina, which is great. You know, other than New York and uh, L.A., I, like, I love New York for just being New York. I don't massively love LA because yeah, it's a bit too close. Uh, close as, uh, as a, you know, for actors. It's like, yeah, yeah. It feels, well, as you described earlier. Yeah, yeah, as I said earlier. But uh, I mean, I really like um, Atlanta and I really like Virginia and stuff that some of those states, I mean, they, people are always saying that they, they feel pretty backwards, but actually they're really breathtakingly beautiful if you drive through them. Mm. Last time I did a job in, um, in Florida, we drove all the way from here uh, down there and you know the drive is spectacular wow. um, you know sort of not everywhere is pretty you know sort of and Americans are crazy in general but uh, <laughs> there are some places that are particularly beautiful you know sort of that haven't haven't been exploited too much and then there's a kind of off the road places that you find you know on the way and they're not particularly well advertised or anything like that and they're not famous or anything like that they're just nice spots well, traveling in general is fun for that, you know, just being outside of your, your known area and just finding cool things that you never would have seen otherwise. I was, I was telling people that it's because uh, they're saying, oh, it's great to, you know, uh, you do all these movies like in New Zealand, Australia. I've literally been everywhere doing stuff. And you're like Antarctica. traveling. Huh? Antarctica. And to see, there you go. <laughs> Not yet. I've been to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they do. Damn. And they do uh, a lot of it for filming as well. Sort of, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Holy and, shit. I was throwing that out there as just a random. No, no, you know? no. There's one place in Antarctica, McMurder Station. That's the name of the. Anyway, this is a really random place. Okay. I'm you either, there's only a thousand people there. Anyway, there's no money or no nothing. It's it's great. It's, it's a oh, it's like a, like a community, though? It's like a science. It's actually a science installation and stuff like that. They study like penguins and. Okay. Yeah, okay. And the ice, and you know, I don't know how you study ice, but but they're there. You're there around. are a bunch of people down there studying ice. I promise you, like fifteen <laughs> of them, ice samples from a million years ago. I once had a vodka and coke with uh, ice that was two million years old. What? 
That is so fucking. You know, rad. they like take the sample and they go, "It's safe," you know. But you know, they're, they're looking at the carbon in it or something, and they go, "Here's a." You put an ice cube in it, and you're like, "There's a vodka cook with," but the ice in it there is two million years old. That is made. bananas. My dad's a scientist, so that's uh, or has training in science. I, I don't know if you'd call yourself a scientist now, but but that's still man, that is insanely cool. But then, but like, I mean, I'm able to tell you these stories, but. Uh, Traveling the world on your own is pretty lonely, though, mm. because you're like, ah, oh, you've kind of no one to experience this with. You meet a lot of cool people when you get there, but the problem, like filming, is you know, you film with these guys, you have lunch with them, you have dinner with them after filming, you have drinks with them, you all sleep in the same place, you know, and then you wake up and you do it again. In four or five weeks, you become fast friends, like you feel like a family, and then it's you like leave. Summer camp or something. Yeah, like, yeah. but uh, yeah, and it's that exact same withdrawal after summer camp. You leave, and you're actually mm. never going to see those people again because chances are you'll never. You, you, you keep in touch now it's easier on Instagram and so on and so forth but really not those same kind of shared experiences though yeah, yeah. and then there's nobody there so when you you come home to your girlfriend or whatever you you, you know they weren't there so it doesn't matter you know they didn't see it <laughs> damn yeah it's definitely more fun to travel with somebody else I think most people would agree with that yeah it's the other way and then it's a shared experience and then you have it together so if it's on your own it's uh, it's definitely not the same yeah I mean there's the argument at least that if you're on your own you have less well, less literal luggage, but also less baggage. And as far as making plans, it's, it's very easy when you yeah. only have to account for yourself. Exactly. You know, as opposed to kids coordinating. Or, yeah, yeah. Well, kids is a whole other thing. a whole other person. But even, even you know, a friend going on a trip with a few friends, then it's, hey, what do you what do you guys want to do tonight as opposed oh, to what do I want to do tonight? You know? I know. There's that whole negotiation, isn't it? You know, that's why you hope that your friends are very like-minded because then they're, yeah. you're like, well, we're going to go and get drunk. You know, sort of, and that's as long as that's everybody's plan, that's fine. Don't travel with people you hate. You heard it here first you know but then there's one person isn't there in the group that wants oh, i was gonna go and visit the cathedrals and you're like uh. <laughs> you're like yeah and there's like we Pop don't we don't have or cathedrals mm. we don't have to and you're like okay uh can we visit just one cathedral and then go drinking you know? <laughs> oh man uh i don't want to forget to talk about your other movie that I, I assume is coming out this year later hasn't come out yet but with mel gibson you were in a film called panama panama I can't tell you anything about it because oh, I don't no. know anything about it. No, no, I'm actually, but it's based on the invasion uh, of Panama. Obviously, was it filmed down there? It was no, it was filmed in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay, yes. I, I don't think they'd let them film in Panama. Anyway, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure actually. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, another. That was one of the ones I was talking about. As soon as I, you know, they were looking for a Brit um, in, uh, but it had to be in North America already. Yeah. You know, so they were like, "Can you work?" And I was like, "I." And you were, sorry, not just you had to be in North America. You had to have a right visa to work. You have to have a social security number and all the American stuff. And so it's quite hard. Whittles to, down the competition. It yeah. did a lot. Uh, so I was like, "Yes, I can be there." Mel but Gibson. Then you could say you've hung out with Riggs and John McClane. It's pretty epic as far as eighties action uh, no. stars go. Unlike. But the Bruce Willis picture, I wasn't in a scene with Mel Gibson. Oh, okay. So in fairness, I'm only in a... Well, for me, I was like, hey, is he in the movie? And I'm like, yeah. So even if I'm not in a scene with him, I was like, as long as I'm in a movie and he's in the movie as well. Yeah. That's fine for me still. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I've still got to work on that one. I still, so I still I haven't kind of done my Mel Gibson thing just yet. Okay, I wasn't but, sure. Yeah, I no. saw it on your IMDb, but... No, no, no. So as in sort of, uh, I've only been in a movie with him, but not been in a scene with him. That, oh, that'll, be, that'll be my next step is to actually be across the aisle from him doing Interacting, something. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But still, you, know, you got uh, anything else coming down the pipeline you want to talk about? Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got, so the Butcher's director, Adrian Langley, we shot another movie. Uh, do you know, I don't know if people are going to like this movie or not. It's called Ash and Dust. It's um, It's got myself in it. It's got Michael Swatton, who played my brother from Butchers. Okay. And we're both in this movie. And it's sort of a revenge thriller where Michael is uh, takes more of the lead role in this one. Um, 
and it's uh, it's a lot of uh, very cool art. I say it was much more of an art house slow burn. Uh, thriller rather than the butchers sort of style, but it's the slasher, same director. Yeah. yeah, it's not a slasher so much; it's a revenge. Cool, uh, sort of thing. And it's called Ash and Dust, and it's out on March 11th. Oh, so, so it's already wrapped and everything. Okay. Oh, it's wrapped. Yeah, yeah. Nice, it's, it's, nice. it's coming out, and then uh, we've got. Uh, yeah, I've got. Can I plug something else? Of course. All yeah. oh, right. Okay, I've got Bring a TV show, uh, Age of the Living Dead, and it, season two of that is coming out in. Uh, I think it's May. Sorry, I should. Really looked up. Is that day. like a Romero spin-off kind of thing, or it's it's very Romero? Yes, uh, it's a, it's a, but with vampires. Sorry, so it's not zombies. Oh, actually. interesting. I thought it might be linked to all the you know. There's Day of the Dead and that's right. Month of the Dead and Year of the Dead. They've got like a million of them. Yes, that are, no, no, no. It's not linked quite like that. But it's uh, the a season one of it is on uh, Amazon Prime right now, cool. and season two is going to drop. I think it's in May, uh, but it's coming up. I'm very excited. For Always a that, good sign if you've got a season two, right? Oh yes. <laughs> if I get to season four, it gets the check. Just get ridiculous. Oh, it's really? Good. Interesting. So, so I just got to keep. Oh, we're shooting season three soon, so I've got to yeah, hope man. that it pushes for another season. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank on that. you. It's uh, it's been a blast hanging out with you, man. I I do have one question for season three that we've been asking everybody to wrap things up, which is uh, what your dream job would be if you weren't doing this, uh, and you can sort of piggyback onto that. What what did you want to be when you were growing up? Ah well, I'm I'm there on that. Oh yes, now. you already mentioned that. Actually. You know, yeah, so yeah. if I'm, I'm do, doing the job, the only job I could imagine myself doing, I have though told people if this doesn't work out, what I want to do is I want to be like a dishwasher or a long distance lorry driver. I'll tell you why, because I really like a monotonous task where I'm just left alone with my thoughts. Like mm. you don't have to think when you're washing dishes. You don't really it's meditative. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of a, and I like just doing something repetitive and very dull like that. That doesn't require your. Uh, it doesn't require you in interacting with people. Definitely, uh, but you get left alone with your thoughts and. Uh, stuff like that so uh, yeah I thought that would be my alternative job I would go completely the other way on it uh, I'd be a really good dishwasher like you know sort of um, <laughs> I'd be the best dishwasher in the country for sure but I'd, I, I like the solitude of it a sometimes. blank mental slate to sort yes, of and then you like things you know without people talking yeah to I'm realizing <laughs> as you answered that how this question is specifically based on everything you had already talked about kind of shitty question for you no <laughs> no no I'm very lucky to uh, uh, every day I <laughs> touch with that uh, I'll be able to keep working because oh, that's the precarious life of being an actor is like you're like well people go well how do you know you're going to be a, you're going to be get another job and you're like yeah I mean you have to be comfortable with that mm. you know sort of um, but you can uh, you know you could be an accountant and get made redundant as an accountant so you, you, you can fail at something you hate. You may as well kind of fail at something you love. So, you know, like, so don't, don't worry about it. You know, it's like just knowing that worrying won't fix it. Yeah. You know, sort of uh, do, do something and be proactive about it. Don't just wait for the phone to ring. You know, you have to, if you're an actor, go out and uh, I would always recommend to young actors is like if you're an actor, get, get a bunch of your friends together and film something or put a play on or write something or produce something or do you know what I mean? I was like, be proactive. Yes, it probably won't be good, but it's good to, it's, it's positive and you're mixing with the right people, you know, sort of uh, the people that you went to drama school with, you know, one or two of them will end up being colleagues and will, you know, you know, will end up being friends in high places that will be able to help you later on. Connections. Yeah. And that's definitely acting is all about knowing the person. It's all referral. And at least it's a good agent, but uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's all referral, really. You know, people go, oh, yeah, I saw you in, you know, sort of uh, da-da-da knows you from this. And you're like, great, yeah. Well, I would <laughs> imagine. That gets your new job. It must get easier as you build your resume, though. It's the one thing that's good. It's cumulative, right? Yeah. The more work you do, the more you're doing work, the more people want you to work. 
that's as an actor that's always true the more experienced you are and the more things you're in and the more you know people want you to work is if you're an actor going yeah i'm free anytime i'm not doing anything right now it's almost the guys like (laughs) but the minute i go to you know the minute you go are you free and i'm like no i've got three days in march and then i can give you a week in april but i'm i'm and then 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 these guys try and make it work for you they're like okay all right hold on let me see (laughs) the more busy you sound the more it makes sense to make though it, it does how it, many times does that happen in life in other avenues you know where uh someone's not interested in you romantically unless you're unavailable and, and oh well he's married Ooh, you know. i know it's, but it's single, unfair you, you know. think all the years i was like and for me i was like, all the years when i was trying to be an actor i was like really really trying to make it work and people wouldn't give me the time of day and now those same people you know sort of will move schedules to get make sure that you are in their things Crazy. <laughs> and you're like you know where were you like 10 years ago yeah well, that's the journey, my friend. I know, yeah. <laughs> I have to keep going. Keep positive, keep going. Oh, it's been a blast chatting with you, man. Oh, you too. Thanks. I I really done, and this is like one of the best rooms. Unlike any other place, I've been in some of these uh, sort of like DJ booths on the radio stations and then all just, you know, these soundproof rooms, which feel like a room you'll die in anyway. Um, this is a much, if I was going to die, this would be a room I'd actually pick to die in. Well done, guys. I quite like the decor here. We temporarily had our plexiglass barrier between us when at the height of COVID, which was a little bit awkward oh, to say the yeah. least. We, we tried to make light of it with, you know, jail hands and... <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, Billy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can, uh, oh, it's much better without all this. And I hope the world goes back to normal soon. I think we're getting there. Yes, one day at a time. But we yes. say as as World War Three is currently. You know, I know. Doesn't it feel like? Doesn't it feel like we've been all right for like five minutes? They go, guys, the end of the road is in sight. I was like, okay, let's just you know. What's next on the agenda? Yeah, yeah. It just all that needs to stop. Yeah, we need a we need a cool, chill summer. We do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like, please, just guys, can everybody hold it together? I was really alarmed because the LCBO pulled all the Russian vodka. I love vodka. Um, and the LCBO were like, we're pulling all the Russian vodka off the shelves. And I was like, that's the first time I've been like, right, we need to get people to sit down and just talk <laughs> because this can't go on. <laughs> but I mean, can you really taste the Russia in the vodka? Or no, not really. I like mix it anyway. Me. You know, so it, <laughs> I'm saying that people often say, I love a vodka and Coke, which is a very British drink, by the way. Nobody oh. here and orders a vodka and Coke. And uh, they were like, what type of vodka do you want? They're like, I mean, I'm ordering it with Coke. So d- you know, it doesn't really matter. Does <laughs> yeah, it? I'm, I'm mixing, I'm I'm mixing it anyway, so the taste is going to be. A lot of good Polish vodka. So Polish vodka, yeah. yeah. Is that Stolichnaya? Is Polish or no? Or is that Russian? I think that's Russian. That's, that's Russian. That's the one I had as a kid a lot. Well, not as a kid, but you know. <laughs> now you said it now. Well, as, dad, as you, you said it now. Then oh, he knows. He knows all that shit. Well, cool. He knows you stole it now. Oh no, he didn't. I don't know if you ever he knows, had any stolen. He knows you watered it down. Oh, yeah. we've talked about that. I, that I know. <laughs> I know there's a a vodka I keep hearing about that's Ontario based, I believe, called Vodkow, and it's like a, a yes. Mm-hmm. Apparently, piece. it's very good. Apparently, yeah. Uh, so, but it's a different process for making it as opposed to potatoes being the the go to. Well, starts with milk, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's some sort of lactose ingredient in there. Yeah, it sounds yeah. terrible now that you've started saying that. <laughs> I, I didn't actually so clear. I've actually heard of the vodka and not known that I've not connected the words in my mind, so vodka. I didn't realize that it wasn't potato based. Yeah, I mean, I'm Irish. I needed to be potato based. Oh, fair. <laughs> I feel like I'm. I'm either getting one of my five a day, or I'm you know adhering to my roots a little well, bit again. Well, you think the Irish could make a decent vodka, but. I don't know. That's not their thing, is it? What's Irish's drink? Like whiskey? Irish whiskey. Yeah. Yeah, Primarily. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which they're not probably great at making. (laughs) Oh, I know. There's some pretty good Irish whiskey. My dad. Although I prefer scotch. Yeah. Yeah. You went to some uh, scotch distillery in Scotland, didn't you? No, but there's two that I really want to go see. Well, Uh, from my two favorite scotches. The bucket list thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, Lagavulin and Lafroig. It was the same with Ron uh, Swanson. Yeah. Very peaty scotches. I don't know well, if you watched Parks. And yeah, Red, yeah, yeah. But he yeah. had an episode. Where I was drinking to, it before uh, that was on. <laughs> no, Drink, but he drinking went to before a, it was popular. Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He specifically went to a uh, distillery though in one of the episodes, and he weren't drinking it before it was popular. It's been popular for two hundred years. <laughs> what are you talking about? That was my setup for you to. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah you can't be a, a Scotch hipster. It's impossible. <laughs> no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Thanks again for coming by, and uh, thanks for everyone for watching. Thanks for having me. See you oh, high five at the end, man. Oh, high five. Cool. <laughs> Cheers. Good time. Hit stains. <laughs>